0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I am one of your hosts. Joined next to me, again, as always, is Dr. Scott Melson. Wow, that fade was really fast.
1: What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Happy Friday. Happy freaking Friday. It's been a long, long week. I've been cantankerous this week. You
0: have been. I won't (laughs) hold it against you. So uh, in today's episode, we're going to do our, uh, our response, our feedback on our, um, our annual, annual predictorama um, that I didn't get the echo the first time when we did this
1: back in January, but now I know how to work the soundboard. You've been playing with that for like the last half an hour, and I feel like you in in the last few minutes you've learned some new tricks. I'm a wise, wise man.
0: <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna give uh, we're gonna give feedback uh, or not feedback, but results of our Predictorama. We have two winners that tied this time. Uh, two winners. And, oh, excuse me, and I notified them via email. I believe one of them will be joining us on the phone, uh, hopefully dur- during this episode. Excuse me, I suddenly have some bubbles in my throat. Um, and then, so we'll do a news roundup, we'll do some predictorama results, um, and then we'll go from there. Sound good?
1: Let's do it. All right.
0: All right, Scott, let's get into the news. What do we have going on this week?
1: So, uh, first, up, first up, we got a, uh, a piece from the Tulsa world, and I'm going to like... I'm gonna rag on the Tulsa World here for a minute, and I I hope they don't take it uh, too much offense to it, because um, they do a great job, and we cite them here all the time on the pod, and I have encouraged people to subscribe to them if they don't already. Right? Are Scott, are all of our stories from the Tulsa World this week? Um, well, that could have
0: happened. Oh, but you you chose not to. I chose
1: I chose not to. Um, I I uh. Yes, we we selected some other we 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 selected our our stories from a multitude of sources this week. But as I was going through our Slack chat and looking at everything you and I had tagged this week, it was like, man, Tulsa World, Tulsa World, Tulsa they're, World, Tulsa World. They're on their game. Uh, so our first piece is called is is looking at um, legislators and who missed the most votes hmm. during this legislative session. So um, if you if you go to the piece, um, they've got the pictures of. Of several legislators here, and they seem very accusatory. Like, uh, if you're not, if you weren't, if you weren't in session and you weren't, uh, if you weren't in session and you weren't uh, making a vote every time there was a, a bill on the floor, well, by golly, that just means that you, uh, you are not, you are not doing your job. The, so the, 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 repre- is, is that the case, though? Well, so that's the question is like, like my, my kind of title for this was like, does this really matter? And, um, I would say, spoiler alert, the answer is no, <laughs> right? Like, um, ga- gauging the number of votes for which a member is present, I don't know if it's the worst way to measure their level of engagement, influence, and activity in the legislature, mm-hmm. but I think it might be
0: close. Not, not a great way. Well, and that's, I think, you know, we've had this conversation, I think, on the show before, certainly um, off the show, that, that even measuring people's votes and how they vote is sometimes misleading, right? Right. Because like uh, last year we had the step up and the step up plus and the AAA Dumoflachi step up, whiz bang, all those, all those packages. Like some people voted against them because of the package, not because they were opposed to like a teacher pay raise, right? Like that was the big deal. And everyone's like, they voted against a teacher pay raise. Like, no, they voted against that specific plan. And so I think that is... If you are just looking on just a, a straight basis of votes, it can be misleading.
1: Well, so I'm I'm going to read you some names, and you tell me how engaged you think each one of these people was in the legislature this year. Okay. Uh, first up, Senator Greg Treat. Uh, well, he's the pro Tim, so he's pretty engaged. Yeah. So he's he's, he's probably also but, so, but probably, probably, leadership
0: probably, is often like the the pro Tim and the speaker are often some of the folks who miss the most votes because they're doing other
1: stuff so interestingly that's true for pro Tim. it's not true for speaker because speaker can vote from his office
0: oh that's right can can S- treat not vote from his S- office
1: pro Tim of the senate cannot vote
0: from their office so well, I'd, I'd be so that's a little yeah right it's a little a little jank who, but, and then the
1: floor leader has like a secret phone yeah. in their desk on the floor yeah in the so, house at least right? yeah so uh so senator treat how about this uh senator roger thompson he was
0: the, uh, the chair of the Appropriations and Budget Committee.
1: Yeah, so probably probably working pretty hard, don't yep. you think? I, yep. Uh, how about Repres- Representative Kevin Wallace? He was the A&B chair in the House. Yeah, so again, probably uh, working pretty hard, right? Reasonable. Uh, how about uh, Representative Jason Dunnington? Also,
0: I mean, uh, certainly an engaged legislator. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you... So uh, Representative Dunnington had uh, six bills passed off the floor and five signed by the governor... Um, in the house they're allowed to run eight bills so that may give him the highest win ratio of any legislator I think uh, it's pretty it's, it's up there and one of those was criminal justice reform uh, retroactivity of state question uh, 780 so House bill 1296 so that certainly was one that um, I n- I know that uh, representative Dunnington was working hard to get that across the finish line in the he last the last few the weeks to, uh, a few weeks of the legislature so there's a few other people there's like eight names on this list but uh, all this to say like the point of uh, of talking about this piece in, is for me not to um, not to call out any of these individuals, but to say this is like a waste of time. All right. Well, so we're not going to talk. We about move it on anymore. to the next article, right? <laughs> So next up, um, a study was released this week from the Commonwealth Fund. Andy, are you familiar with the Commonwealth Fund? No. So they're a nonprofit. They look at health care statistics, data, uh, health system information. And this is the 2019 scorecard on state health system performance. Can I ask a question real quick that is off topic? Yes. Yes.
0: some states are referred to as commonwealths, like the commonwealth of Virginia, right? Yes, they're not states, they're commonwealths. What is the difference? Massachusetts is the commonwealth, I believe. Really? So yeah. what's the what's the difference? I don't know, that's what they're called. This is, I mean, last week we talked about counties, right? Yeah. And not all states have counties, some have parishes, and
1: then whatever Alaska has, like districts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why you'd be a commonwealth, not a state. But I know Virginia is a commonwealth, and I'm like pretty sure math- Massachusetts is a commonwealth. Difference. Interesting. Well, research this further. Anyway, back to the Commonwealth Fund. Yeah. So, um, if you were going to guess where Oklahoma ranks in the uh, 2019 Commonwealth Scorecard on state health system performance, where uh, where would you su- where would you suggest that we uh, that we lie? I'm going to guess not great, Scott. <laughs> just on, uh, just going on a limb here. Well, we're next to last. Mrs. Mississippi last. Well, so we're so we're next to last, but we're 50. Out of 51, because the District of Columbia, also not a state. So uh, we, are the, <laughs> oh. we are the next to worst health system in the country, mm-hmm. which is good. Uh, no, the, it's uh, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, David Radley, who is one of the authors of the report, this is a quote, said, Oklahoma and Mississippi stand out for poor performance, even among poor performing states. So we're not just bad. We're like bad even compared to others who are bad. We, we are the worst or the best at being the worst. Yes, yes. Uh, we uh, uh, are, have a significant number of deaths from um, drug and alcohol abuse, more from alcohol than drug abuse, um, uh, or excuse me, more from drug abuse than uh, alcohol. Um, the criteria that the study looked at are access and affordability, prevention and treatment, affordable, avoidable use of hospitals and uh, the cost associated, associated with that, uh, healthy lives and a disparity. Uh, Our best score was prevention and treatment, which we were ranked 42nd, and then we were worst for access and affordability at 49th. Um, So we are 50th for uninsured adults and 49th for elderly patients that are receiving high risk drugs, uh, preventable deaths, colorectal deaths, and certain hospital admissions. So um, yeah, so it's not great. Okay. It's not, well, not great. Uh, the full report is really interesting. It's quite long. We'll post it on the blog and you can check it out. But uh, we're going to talk more about healthcare here in Oklahoma in just a few minutes. Okay. Well, so the next one is uh, a closer look at Oklahoma's recent brain drain. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is a piece from the Oklahoma Economist published in the Kansas City Fed. Um, this is looking at where are college graduates going from Oklahoma? So... Oklahoma has seen um, net migration uh, out of the state. Um, so the net migration has been negative um, in 2016, 2017, 2018. And a big chunk of the people that are leaving Oklahoma are people that are college graduates, specifically those that hold uh, bachelor's degrees, which is new. Hmm. Um, it's been the case for a long time that people with postgraduate degrees tend to leave the state. Uh, but it's a relatively recent development that people with bachelor's degrees are a net negative from the state as well. Uh, they're going to uh, Texas predominantly, like like mostly Texas, mostly the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but also to uh, Kansas, Washington, and North Carolina, which I find interesting. Huh. Uh, why do we have so many people going to North Carolina? Um, but the reason this matters is because people with college degrees tend to have higher paying jobs. They tend to be in jobs that are a bit more skilled. They tend to spend more. They tend to save more, both, uh, which is good for the economy and the overall progression of the state. So um I'm under, curious. understanding why this is happening is actually really important. Hmm. I'm curious to see how these kind of trends change
0: over time, uh, particularly with the, all the discussion about, you know, like student loan debt, right? So there's a lot of folks with college degrees, but I think I think we as a nation need to have a a deep hard conversation about what kind of professions need college degrees and if I I think that the education is super important and I think I would love for everyone to have the opportunity for a college education, right? Um but I I don't think that it's right to shoulder everyone with mountains of debt because I, as as we've discussed, you know, a degree in social work pays the same or it costs the same as a degree in finance, but the jobs you get do not pay the same afterwards.
1: So did you see um big on big on the Twitter this week? Um I think this was out of Minnesota. University of Minnesota, maybe the University of uh, Wisconsin, one of the one of those Great Lakey, Northern-y states, um, has this program where they're like they're letting boomers, like baby boomers that are retired, they can come in and take oh, classes for like ten dollars, for like thirty bucks. I mean, it's really really cheap. It's like thirty to fifty dollars a class. They're allowed to take these classes um, so they can learn about these things that they've always wanted to know about but never had the time to go back to school and there's been all of these people tweeting back and saying so if this is really all it costs can I not pay $50,000 to right, get my right. to get my degree can I can I also pay the $50 because now I'm trying to embark upon my career without being saddled with a mountain of debt right can we just make this retroactive and Reduce the cost only, but no, I agree. I mean, I think in Oklahoma, we actually do. You know, Oklahoma, especially the last couple of years, talking about the legislature, we've been ragging on our education system a lot. But um, we have one of the best career tech systems uh, in the country, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think probably it could be it could be utilized more than it is. You know, um, there is a huge need for skilled professions that don't necessarily require a college education. Now, I'm with you. Like, I think more education is better. I think that. I think if you're a carpenter, a liberal arts education benefits you, right? Like right. I think if you're a doctor, a liberal arts education benefits you. I think that if you are, you know what I mean? Like I, th- I don't think there's ever a scenario in which education is like bad, but in terms of what you need for your like vocation, right? I think we overuse college a lot and there's a huge need, uh, like for people to go into the building trades. So this is carpentry, uh, mm-hmm. uh, electric becoming an electrician, plumbing, um, there's these are understaffed industries, um, and we need young people to understand that you can go into those careers, you can learn the skill and get your license within two to three years at a career tech, and come out at 21 making really good money. Mm-hmm. Man, if you know, like, if, if I'd had a job making sixty thousand a year at 21, like, yeah, I would have thought, like, you kidding me? Like, life is freaking great. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you can make well over that in some of these skilled trades. Yeah. So that's uh, that's that's a report from the Oklahoma economist. Um, We've got a piece of next from the journal record. Andy, I'm going to let you take the lead here because, you know, way more about this than I do. Well, and and
0: like many stories, this one has been in. Multiple news outlets. I think I I spoke with the Oklahoman uh, yesterday and today, and then with Channel Four here in Oklahoma City KFOR today as well um, about um, this new criminal justice reform task force that the governor has appointed, and the the members of the task force are a veritable who's who in Oklahoma government and nonprofits. Right, so it's like Steve Buck from the uh, Oklahoma um, Bureau of Juvenile Affairs, and it's. Um I, Scott is messing with his microphone and he just discovered that I have secured the cable to the boom arm with to it's also tied underneath with the, uh, with Velcro straps. It's designed to not be removed. Sorry. I didn't know you wanted well, I didn't know you wanted to recline while we recorded. I I always want to recline. Well it's my that's my mo. What listeners can't uh, can't see is that I I reorganized our studio today and it's more like a living room setup. It's delightful. So we can. This is our first time. We can adjust. I can set it so you can recline next time.
1: <laughs> All right, continue. So we've got Steve Buck. <laughs> we've Steve we've Buck,
0: seen? Terry White from from DMH. Yep. Um. Uh. Justin Wood from um DHS. Justin uh, Brown. Brown. Sorry. Who's Justin Wood? Maybe someone uh, else I, I know. know. Justin Brown from DHS. Um. And so the interim from a DOC, like I said, and then some nonprofit leaders as well uh, from Remerge and a few other organizations. So, And and then Representative uh, John Eccles is on there, um, someone, uh, one of the state senators, someone from the governor's office. It really is a, a well-rounded, I think, task force, and the purpose is to look at everything that intersects criminal justice and figure out what needs to be fixed, right, which... That's good. Um, the issue, the reason that it has come up into the news is that um, the 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 chair, um, Chip Keating, who I believe is Governor Keating's son, correct. And he's um, with the Department of Public Safety, um, he in an interview yesterday when they announced it, said, Someone asked if it would be open to the public because he said stakeholder involvement and engagement is uh, is pivotal. And someone said, oh, will these be open to the public? And he said, no. And everyone's like, uh. I don't think that's legal. Well, that's, that is the question, Scott. I, uh, as Executive Director of Freedom of Information Oklahoma, who cares about this kind of thing, um, based on my reading, I've talked to a few folks today. I don't know that it's legal either. Uh, the problem is, if it's illegal, someone's got to challenge it, right? So I don't have the funds myself to sue the state government to force them to be open. However, here's... A, I, I bet somebody does. Well, please stand up. If you do, if you're listening and you have money and you want to sue the government. Uh, um, to be clear, I don't. <laughs> that's, um, but I think it'll be a hot-button issue. However, there are violations of the Open Meeting Act and Open Records Act all the time at all levels of government, and it drives me insane... Because it's the law, but it's like you have to get a DA or someone to enforce it, or you have to sue them yourself.
1: What did you think of Mr. Keating's, um, chairman Keating, whatever his title is? What did you think of his reasoning for why the plan was not to have uh, this group subject to open meetings? Well, so he
0: just said that so far they haven't. He's not given a legal reasoning. He just said that people might would be more open to have like open conversation if their conversations were not public. What is your thought about that? I think no kidding. I think everyone's conversations are probably more forthcoming if the public is not privy. However, that's not how government works. Like we have the open meeting act for a reason and it's because the people have a right to know what goes into the policies and procedures and how the government works. And so also that's not a legal argument. I, my hunch would be, if they were to make a legal argument, which they've not done yet, the argument would be that there's a provision in the Open Meeting Act that says public bodies that don't make any decisions are not subject to it. However, um, there are plenty of examples. In fact, there was a lawsuit at Oklahoma State University several years ago when they were um, choosing a new president, Burns Hargis, who's now the president. In that process, there was a kind of a committee. They said, Oh, we're not making decisions, we're just giving recommendations for who the committee should interview, right? So like seven applicants, we're gonna pass on four of these. They said, We're not making decisions. However, the decision to pass on some and not pass on others is a decision, right? So that is a decision making body. Whether or not that decision has any like perpetual implications is a different story, it doesn't matter.
1: Do you know? Do you know what allows um, boards, committees, and commissions to enter into executive session? Yeah, you
0: have to say you're going into executive session. You have to state the reason for it, and you can only you can only discuss that issue in the executive committee. Um, there are some other provision, but that's the that's the gist of it.
1: Interesting. I mean, I'm I am of two minds about this, as you know right like on the one hand, on the one hand, I agree that like as a general principle, more transparency is better, right like the more transparency we can have the better the more insight we have into the decisions that our government makes, the better, right um, but also, as you know, I think it's really hard to um, right like if if a decision is meant to be like, if we're going to try and decide something with everyone involved that is what elections are for right and if we're going to make decisions that not everybody is involved in then i think at some point there can be there can be times where deliberations are kept private right i mean like this is like the the best example of this is executive privilege at the presidential level, right? Like Mm -hmm. the reason executive privilege exists is so that advisors, staffers can speak their mind to the president and the president can have all of the information, entertain all of the options. And even, you know, you can make counter arguments, you can play devil's advocate and you can have conversations that may not happen if they were being had in the public sure. sphere, but right? I, but so, I think
0: this isn't nuclear war, though. And I think, there, I think there are many examples where that is true and appropriate, right? Like, I don't... Same with open records. You know, the the legislature is not currently subject to the Open Records Act. They exempted themselves. And when you talk to them, many of them, they will say, well, I don't think that my constituents information in, in their email should be out there. I'm like, well, no, I don't think so either. There are typically exceptions for that kind of thing. Just like there's... I've got a book over there I'll give you About Open Media and Open Records Act that has a list of uh, court cases and decisions and exemptions for stuff like that. However, this committee was about like public safety, right? Public safety and criminal justice reform. So we've talked about a lot and involves members that are not elected officials and just involves citizens. And they have said they're not making any decisions, they're just going to talk about it and maybe make some recommendations, which. It's a decision, but, um, and so the open meeting act doesn't require that you have a public comment time. That would be lovely. It just requires that you post an agenda and you say when you're going to meet and, and, and that you, people can attend and sit there and listen, which is fine. Secondly, more important or not more important, but secondly, in addition to the open meeting act is the open records act for which all of these public officials who were there with the exception of the to state legislators, everyone else, um, the elected official is already subject to the Open Records Act. And so everything this task force creates, they have to request, they have to do minutes, Um, they have to keep minutes, that's pursuant to open meetings, but open records that we as the public should have access to all the paperwork, all the reports, any emails, anything concerning these meetings anyway. And so my hunch, this is just a hunch, is that I suspect this might be one of those things where someone who has been in the private sector for their entire career now gets a job in government, and the private sector does not have open meetings or open records, right? You can have private meetings all day long. Nobody cares. But that's just not the way it is in government for good reason because we don't want our
1: government hiding stuff from us. Yeah, no, and I think that's... I mean, let me be clear. I'm not, like, anti-open meetings or open records, right? Like, I support both of those things um, I just think that I don't know I think I think there are some times when it is more important than others I I agree
0: you and know? I'm not and this is one of those things where it's the it's the it's like the not the point of it but it's like the the principle of it that's what it is for one governor stitt ran on a platform of increased government transparency absolutely true to, to create a task force full of all the agency heads and some other individuals from in the community and then to say "Nah, you guys can't come i'm like well that's not the way it works
1: man right well and i suspect we're going to find that that actually is not legal and they're gonna to have to it's gonna have to be subject to open records and open meetings anyway
0: right and it's i agree it feels dumb to make a big issue of this but like, if you don't make a big issue about the little things that are so easy, then it, that's why it's so much harder, right? Like, most of the calls yeah. that I get for FOI are individuals who are trying to get their own, like, police arrest record. They're like, I got arrested two weeks ago for something and I need it for some reason. And they won't, they said they don't have to give it to me. And I'm like, okay. And, like, it's just questions like that or, like, city council stuff. I mean, people are always trying to. Well, skirt the law. Like,
1: and I don't think this is... I don't think this is dumb. I just... I just... am kind of like... You know... um, Is there... I, I'm trying to like... I'm trying to come up with a really strong feeling either way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if they do meet and it's not open to the public... And we see their recommendation... I mean, I guess that's the issue, right? Like if they meet and it's not open to the public... And we see their recommendations... And the recommendation is something that's like crazy. Then you want to say like, well, how the hell did we wind up here? Right. You know what I mean? Um, But maybe we see the recommendations and there's one recommendation that's crazy. And then there's another recommendation that's really, really good. And in order to get both of those, like you had to put them both. You see what I'm saying? Like a deal had to be made. Like a compromise had to be struck. And I just think that sometimes those can be hard to do. With the four million people of Oklahoma mm-hmm. watching,
0: I agree. All right,
1: uh, and we've got one more
0: news article here. What is it?
1: Um, yeah, so this is a piece from KGOU, yeah. Um And this is this is the the title. It's we're we're gonna kind of hit a couple of different things with this. This is a boon for the uninsured or a path to financial crisis. So this is uh, from earlier this week um, from the folks down in Norman. Um, and what the article is really looking at is a, a proposal, a, a plan to allow insurance companies in Oklahoma to sell these um, much less expensive, much stripped down health plans in Oklahoma that have been disallowed for several years now because of the affordable care act. Um, these are short term limited duration insurance plans. they, they, the proposal is that people will be able to buy these for up to 36 months um, rather than six months, which is the current time limit. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, these are what you would consider like gap coverage, right? Like, this is insurance that you would buy to like, so you have something like in between a job, right? If you have a, a minute where you're not going to have. Health coverage. Um, these are plans that are much, much different. They don't often often don't have prescription benefits. They don't have maternity coverage. They don't have. They won't. They're they, not real insurance. They don't, they don't. cover like cancer. If you should be diagnosed with cancer, um, they are very, very uh, cheap because they don't really cover anything, right? Um, the reason that people the the in, in my opinion the reason that people are pushing this is because it'll do two things. It will it will quote unquote decrease the cost of health coverage. But it will decrease the cost of health coverage because it will allow you to buy health coverage that doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. um, and it will also reduce the number of uninsured. So it makes it it makes us look better. It makes us look like we have a much lower uninsured rate than we do, but our functional uninsured rate would be the same. And it makes it look like the cost of health insurance is coming down when really it's not. It just means that we're selling health insurance that doesn't that doesn't cover anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there are not many people um there are not many people across the country who actually o- have these plans there's like uh oh, about a, about 120 122 thousand people across the across the country um that have plans like this but states like Oklahoma and I'll give you a guess uh, which other states you can you can you can probably name most of them mm-hmm. um they we are making a move to try and expand people's ability to buy these plans the reason that we're kind of gonna kind of get into some kind of get into some uh Some other issues here is because the reason this is even an issue is because Oklahoma, as we just talked about, uh, leads the nation or is 49th in the nation in terms of uninsured, uninsured citizens. Right. We have a ton of people who don't have health care. And there's a lot uh, on the horizon that's trying to address that. So uh, another piece of news this week was uh, Oklahomans decide health care. They 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 came out. They announced uh, this is the group that is going to be running. A ballot initiative for state question 802, which would expand Medicaid in the state of Oklahoma. Um, now, essentially, as soon as that was filed, there was a challenge filed, uh, a challenge filed against it. Um, uh, the challenge will be heard in the state Supreme Court on Tuesday. Uh, the challenge was filed. Um, the plaintiffs are OCPA, the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs, a... Um, uh, think tank in air quotes here um the ocpa uh they are filing on uh with uh, co co-plaintiffs being a a nurse as well as a radiologist who works up in edmond um several organizations professional organizations have filed briefs on uh, behalf of the defendants uh, arguing that this would be good for oklahoma the state attorney general has written an opinion uh their opinion says we think that there's a little bit of problem with the language here like we don't see a problem with like constitutionally expending medicaid but there's a some language that needs to be cleaned up in their proposal and if they clean up their proposal we think it should be fine to go forward Mm -hmm. um so we have talked about this ad nauseum here on the show and we're going to talk about it some more later this summer but one thing that was interesting today is pat mcferrin who is a local uh Republican, Republican pollster, Mr. McFerrin, he came out with a poll that he did. It's his, his own poll, um, where he looked at this question. And I just, I think, I think that the results are interesting. So when you look at Pat's poll and I'm pulling it up right now, forgive me for taking a minute here. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have the results of the entire poll. I don't think but I've got here these first first few questions. So first question that he asks is, um, as you know, a group recently launched an initiative petition drive to expand Oklahoma's Medicaid program. He kind of talks about what the program would be and says, would you support voting yes or voting? Like, would you vote yes or no if you were asking today? 28% said definitely yes. 19% said probably yes. So that's what, 47%, right? Mm-hmm. 47% of Oklahomans said that, yeah, they would they would vote vote for it. Twenty nine percent of Oklahomans said the best reason to do that uh, would be that there are working Oklahoma families who don't have access to health care, and twenty two percent said that our rural hospitals are struggling and even closing. And expanding Medicaid would help these hospitals stay mm-hmm. open. Okay. Um, now he then went and asked a question about which of the following are reasons to vote no on Medicaid expansion, um, and the 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 the. The most popular answer there was that there's no guarantee the federal government will continue to fund 90% of the program because we, the taxpayers, cannot afford it. We can't trust the federal government to keep their promise, and then we will have to choose between either kicking people off Medicaid, raising taxes, or crippling other parts of the state budget. Yeah. So that was 28%. And then a further 22% said, this is just another step in implementing Obamacare in Oklahoma and a move towards single-payer health insurance. Sure. So the thing is, what's interesting to me about that is that's 50% of the people, right, Um, that are, like, said that they would be... What's the best way to put it? Of the the five possible answers for, like, why you would not support Medicaid expansion, half of them are things that have, like, no basis in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Like, right? Like, so that's interesting to me because there's... Like, when you talk about this idea that, like, the feds are not going to always support this, there's, like, laws in place saying that they have to, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the idea that the feds are going to say no, we're not going to continue the nine to one, you know, match guarantee. Mm -hmm. Like that's never happened in the history of the program. Like they've literally never done that. But 28% of Oklahomans think that's a good reason not to support this. Right. Right. Um, And then when you say that this is a first step on the road to single payer, I would actually argue that expanding Medicaid, far from being a first step on the road to single payer is if you want to put off single payer, you should expand Medicaid. Um, (laughs) That's... Like right. If, if you wanna if you wanna put off the march toward a single payer healthcare system, single payer health care system, then expanding Medicaid is one of the things that you should be doing. Right. It- um, um but anyway, so all that to all that to say, um when you he he asked a further question that says, It has been suggested that the state legislature and governor develop a Medicaid expansion plan that, while it expands Medicaid, has some other requirements such as requiring minimal premium payments by the newly covered, requiring the able-bodied to work, ending the program if the federal government discontinues paying the 90% of the cost, and allowing private insurance companies to provide this coverage. Knowing this, which of the following would you prefer to see? And 48% said have the governor and state legislature create an Oklahoma plan that expands Medicaid with additional requirements. Um, So I think that Pat's contention here would be if you are... If you want to expand Medicaid in Oklahoma, then a majority of the people would, or a plurality of the people would prefer an Oklahoma-specific plan rather than generic Medicaid expansion. That's. Would you? Yeah, I think that's true. That's. I think that's. I think that's his contention, and my contention would be, yes, that is clearly what this data says. But this data also shows that um, people are answering these questions who have a very an incomplete set of facts and I wonder how this information changes uh as Oklahoma decides rolls out their campaign over the next six months
0: yeah I can't wait to see what happens so let's take a quick break and we come back we're going to call uh representative Zach Taylor Hey, Representative Taylor. Yes. Can you hear us okay?
2: Yes, I can hear good.
0: Super, great. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's I'm Andy Moore. and joined here with uh, Scott
1: Melson. Hey, Rep, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. So uh, I am pleased to tell
0: you in person, I know I already emailed you, but you were one of our winners this year of our annual Predict-O-Rama for the Oklahoma legislature. And this is... Yeah. Not only the first time that we had an elected official play, but you actually won.
2: Right.
1: Some some might say that as a uh, a sitting representative that you had an advantage, but we made an executive decision that uh, you should be eligible to win the contest just like anybody <laughs> else.
0: Okay. Well, good
1: deal. Also, no
0: one no one can predict what happens each spring at That's the Oklahoma true. Legislature. So I'm curious. Did you do you remember back in January? I think is when we kind of put it out there. Um, where you found out about it? Did you see it on Facebook or Twitter? Or I don't know if you listened to our podcast even. I saw it on Facebook. Nice. Okay. So um, I will say our other winner is Amanda Ewing, who uh, works for OEA. Um, so, we actually had a lobbyist and a legislator win this year, which isn't a good look for us, but we, again, <laughs> who who could know? Um, and so, Representative Taylor, uh, you and Amanda were a little bit different. Um, we had 20 items um, all together, uh, and only four of those 20 actually passed all the way and were signed into law. The teacher pay raise, a state employee pay raise, um, permitless carry, and... Um, and then um, the last one was uh House bill 1269, um, so the which made state question 780 retroactive. Uh, and so right. you correctly predicted all of those um However, you and Amanda only got three of them. I think I think all the ones that Amanda guessed she got. Um, but you guessed all four correctly, and then you had one that was incorrect um you had right. also guessed that we might pass a ban on teacher walkouts right um so that yeah, was I
2: was hearing that uh kind of some um uh, oh some skirmish and uprising about some of that so uh, i kind of predicted that there might be a push for that sure doubt sure. that that was kind of put on the back burner which is a, probably a good thing no reason to uh Poke people in the eye when they're just trying to make a difference. So right, <laughs> uh, kind of moved away from that.
0: But. Well, yeah, it was. I think you know, back in January, it was um, it was anyone's guess about what was going to happen. There was still a lot of emotion from last year carrying over, and uh, I think a lot of people had some big ideas. So um, right, well, congratulations on uh, on winning. I will say I haven't yet said it on the show yet, but our so you and uh, you and Amanda both tied. So, the, the most points you could have was positive four, and then you could have a negative 20 if you missed all of them, right? And so, um, you guys have both were plus three, which is great. And then the, um, the worst score was a minus seven. So, not terrible, honestly. Like
2: people. Oh, yeah. So, it was pretty close then.
0: Yeah. Um, it was funny reading through, um, seeing the list of, of everyone we had, um, 40-something 40 people, 47 people who uh, played this year. That's really solid. That's I didn't good. realize we
1: had that many. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so it is funny. We'll have to do... Peter Evans, who won last year, had a minus four this year. He didn't do so hot. So um, sorry, Peter. No no tote bag for you. Um, so uh, Representative Taylor, you are from House District 28, which is right. out in Potawatomi Seminole County. Tell us a little bit about your. My district is Seminole County. Seminole County, okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about your district and how you came to be in the legislature.
2: Well, um, my district is all rural. I believe the largest town in my district is Seminole, and it comes in at about seventy-five hundred people. I was elected in a special election in May of 2017, and what brought that about is um, our district's representative, which was Tom Newell at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, resigned to take a job in the private sector, uh, so that created a a special election. I won a uh, four-way primary, uh, and then I won uh, the general in May of 2017.
0: Yeah. So you came in after the teacher walkout last year. Well, no, seventeen—that's the year before last. No, yeah.
2: No, I experienced the.
0: That's right. You the, were there uh, for that. <laughs> all
2: the, most all of the revenue votes. Uh, so, uh, I don't think things uh, should get much worse than that. So it's uh, looking up from there. Uh, it's been a great session. Uh, or this this first year of the fifty seventh has been great uh, as compared to the fifty sixth. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to the great things to come.
1: Yeah, what? Representative, what had were you always interested in, like running for office and public service, or kind of what was your, what what kind of got you thinking to run, and what did you do before that?
2: Well, it's not really something that I'd always thought I was going to do. Uh, I mean, my family has always been uh, service-minded, but not necessarily uh, as far as serving in the legislature. But I just looked around at the state that I've grown up in, the only state I've ever known. Uh, now my wife and I have a little girl and I said, you know, it's time to step up and make a difference and try to make this state a better place to live and grow up. And instead of being the guy that sits around and complains and just talks about all the bad things in Oklahoma, uh, I decided to be the guy that steps up and gets involved to really turn things around or attempt to turn things around anyway. So
0: yeah, Uh, here I am. You're speaking to our heart. That's, that's how we got started. And, um, we appreciate that sentiment from anybody, um, what do you think, uh, aside from these things that, in our little game that passed, what do you think was the biggest accomplishment of the legislature this year?
2: Well, uh, I know that there's some disagreement on both sides of the issue as far as saving money, but I think it's a, a great thing for our state uh, to begin the process of being fiscally responsible and sticking more money back for when things uh turn back down you know when the economy goes back down um i think for long-term stability of our state and long-term stability of our core services we're going to have to plan for the future and plan for uh the economy being uh, down again because the nature of our economy more so even than other states uh, is there's a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys because of the price of oil Mm -hmm. Uh, So until we move farther away from being so dependent upon that, we're still going to continue to experience that. And the best way uh, to deal with that, in my opinion, is to save more money. So I think it's great that we didn't spend everything that came in. Uh, We did make some more investments in uh, education and state employee pay and corrections. Um, And we hope to continue those investments again next year. So. Are, uh, I, personally, I think that's the biggest thing we we really did.
1: in In terms of you know future investment, do you think that those you know uh, healthcare and education will those be the the service areas that that will continue to see investment in the second session of the fifty seventh? Or do you think there's other core services that um, are going to need to be looked at?
2: Oh, I think there will be. Uh, we'll continue to look at education. I think that the, the move. Uh, in my opinion, will be more towards uh, classroom funding and per-people spending. And um, I, we may continue to look at some of our state employees uh, that don't make uh, a competitive wage. I think that we will probably continue to look at that. And then uh, we're going to have to take a look at healthcare care uh, with the uh, – uh, the state question that's going to be filed for the expansion of Medicaid, we're probably going to have to take a look at that ourselves uh, as well at the legislature. So,
0: Do you think you're going to get called back for a special session about Medicaid?
2: I don't really think so. And if we did, I estimate that it would just be a little bit early, uh, like maybe going in January instead of February or something like that. Sure. I don't really see us uh, going in. Like in the fall or anything like
1: that. Uh, selfishly, I I hope that you're right. Uh, <laughs> we so we started this uh, we started this podcast uh, in uh, 2017, I guess, right? Andy, was it 2017 or was it last mm-hmm. year? Yeah, I, I, it all runs together because we started it right. right before all the special sessions happened with the budget crisis, and we had all these plans of everything we were gonna talk about in the off season, but we never had an off season right. because you guys were in session for like fifteen months. So if we yeah. if we never did that again, that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> oh, it'd be great with me. Uh, I mean,
2: I I really haven't had a a great interim break until
1: this, until now. Yeah,
2: we yeah
1: Um we a lot going on. What do you think? You know, spe- you know, talking about healthcare, you know, what do you think the legislature needs to do with healthcare? What What does that look like to you?
2: Well, I don't really know um, what that's going to look like. I mean, the, there's two sides of that coin. A lot of people think that we need to take do full Medicaid expansion and take the federal dollars, uh, but again, I look at things from the fiscal responsibility side, and I just want to make sure that we don't get ourselves into a mess. In other words, take a bunch of federal money uh, because of the high matching rate now, and then the federal government decide, hey, we can't sustain this high matching rate, so we're going to take the matching rate from 9 to 1 down to, say, 4 to 1. Well, that creates a a big liability for the state of Oklahoma. So I just want to tread carefully, um, do what's best for the people of Oklahoma, uh, I think we have a lot of healthcare experts and some uh, setting legislators that are uh, experts in the field of healthcare working on the issue now. I think there'll probably be some interim studies take place on it. Uh, so I'm just here to listen and uh, do what's best for the people of Oklahoma.
0: Sure. Anything that uh, you think we should look forward to for next year?
2: Um. Well, let's see. Uh, I think that there will will continue to be a push for savings to uh, continue the path of fiscal uh, responsibility, and I think, um, let's see, look forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to Secretary Ostro, which has been named the Secretary of Digital Transformation. I'm looking forward to what he's got in store for many of our state agencies, because many of our IT uh stuff at our agencies is just so old and antiquated, and I think there could be a lot of efficiencies created there, and I think that would also deliver services of government to the people of Oklahoma much better and much uh more streamlined yeah, I'm pretty excited about that.
0: I echo that some of the things he said has got me excited it, it everything requires time and money, so we'll see if we get there, but at least someone's thinking about it
2: yeah, yeah, I think uh I think it'll be great for the state uh, some of the things that he's got on his mind.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, representative Taylor, I appreciate you taking some time to join us on a Friday afternoon. I will get your prize pack in the mail to you shortly. Have a good summer.
2: Sure. Thank you guys. Good to talk to you.
1: You too. Thanks rep.
0: All right, we're back. Thanks to Representative
1: Zach Taylor from Seminole for joining us. Yeah, that was great. Uh, it's the first time ref's been on the show. Hopefully we we can maybe get him uh come on in person. When yeah, there, uh, I offered, but it was short notice on this. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's uh, Scott, let's dig a little deeper into our results of our Predicto-Rama before we wrap up this episode. As we said, Representative Taylor and Amanda Ewing, Amanda could not be here today. She is great with child and has her very final, uh, I think, ultrasound today at the same time we're recording, so... I mean, I guess if that takes priority. She's also my neighbor. So that's, I was like, oh, I think I can deliver this. She <laughs> um, doesn't live very far away. Um, uh, Scott, your dad played.
1: I just saw that. Oh,
0: yeah? Here's minus three.
1: Oh, hey, not bad. Yeah.
0: Um, some other funny ones I will, uh, people you might know, David Glover was a plus two. Close. Gene Perry from OK Policy, a policy guru, plus one. So pretty close. Nice. Again, uh, plus four was uh, was the top score. Uh, Joe Dorman, former state rep and current director of OICA. I think it was a plus two. Um, some uh, If you guys listen to the Passing Notes of your educators, you should listen to the Passing Notes podcast with Stephanie Hinton. Um, Stephanie's husband, Frank, got a plus two. Stephanie did not do so hot. I think he beat her. Andy, you and I wisely... Did not record our uh, predictions. We did not. Kaki Porch, who was on last week, two weeks ago. Yes. She was a minus one. Um, yeah, so it was a good, uh, good selection. Um, I, I look forward to uh, kind of giving these folks a bit of a ribbing on some of this. <laughs> um, if you want to know, I, I also calculated which ones had the highest um, correctness or highest incorrectness, right? So, again, the only ones that, that actually passed were the teacher pay raise, the state employee pay raise, um, House Bill 1269, which made 780 retroactive, and then uh, permitless carry. Those are the four that passed. The ones that were the most missed were actually the teacher pay raise and the public employee pay raise. People did not think they would – more people thought – they wouldn't happen that Right. Would. Yeah. Fifty five percent thought it would not pass. Interesting. Um, and then the one that um was the most correct where everyone got it correct, um it didn't pass, but it is Oh, well, shoot.
1: Oh, was this uh the conversion therapy bill where everybody said it had no chance? No, the increase in the minimum wage to ten fifty. Oh, so the bill yeah.
0: from Senator Sure George Young. Sure. Um no one Literally 94% of our respondents did not think it would pass. Sad, Um, but unsurprising. Yeah. Uh, And second for that one uh, goes to Senate Bill 592, which would require a $50,000 bond for rallies at the state capitol. That was pretty funny. Um, And then 1153, which would allow people in each county to make decide if all county offices would be nonpartisan. Of course, they didn't go for that, so... Anyway, it was pretty interesting kind of reviewing the results. Um, Thanks to everyone who played. Next year, Scott, we should really cast our our ballots out there. I think I I went back and listened to that episode. I was very sick that day. had a sinus thing back in January. It was like I turned it on. I was like, oh, I sound terrible. And then like the first line was you and I saying that I sound terrible. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I remember that. And uh, Crystal Yosef joined us for that episode as well. We need to get Crystal back on the show. yes. All right. Scott, what
1: about, about wraps it up? That wraps it up for today. You know, we have we have hinted um, mm. uh, that we are going to have all these cool things to talk about over the summer. And then finally this week, you and I sat down and hashed out the we, schedule. We had a conference call. <laughs> we, we And figured out exactly. What, so should we just kind of briefly let people know what they can expect sure I uh, think. coming up between between now we guys we've got a plan to take you all the way pretty much until session resumes again in february
0: well, yeah almost that far yeah um so next week we're going to do an episode about the politics of pride as it is june is pride month um we're going to have a couple of members from the lgbt community i believe one republican and one democrat to come on and talk about the politics of pride and how they relate to it and um what's similar and what's different there and then um well and then we got to make a new decision here where we're going to play the audio from our civic saturday event however that event has been postponed one of the organizers had a family emergency and so we've had to postpone that um so that will not be happening this saturday um however so the month of july we're going to have a special series about criminal justice reform and then roughly in the month of august we're going to have uh, a series on gerrymandering and redistricting. Something, you know, I you, Scott, you saw my book. I just got yes. a new book about it. And in fact, I think uh, so. The I can't say the name of the book on the air. I guess <laughs> it's Rat Ratfinked.
1: <laughs> so it could R, be R A T F asterisk asterisk K E D.
0: Yeah, we'll say Rat Finked. Uh, David Daly is the author, and I believe we'll have him on the show at some point. Um, to talk about, uh, gerrymandering and also this month we should hear, uh, the, uh, not the results, but the opinion of the Supreme court of the United States on some gerrymandering cases by the end of June. Uh, and then, so that'll be in, um, in July or excuse me, in August. And then in September, we're going to have a
1: healthcare series. Scott, you look surprised at that. No, um, I had a thought. Um, so we're gonna have a, uh, a a healthcare series through through September, and then um, October and November, we're gonna try and get um, in really a, an absurd level of detail about how bills become laws in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, we're just gonna uh, break it all down.
1: Kind of take it, take a deep dive, so that when we are. When we get into session next February and uh, the ledge is passing all this stuff, um, we will not have to review the rules every week to right. talk about talk about what all these things mean and how they happen.
0: Well, and as I was making the outline for that um, that series, it occurs to me that there's like there's like the first cut of just like it passes both chambers and the governor signs it, like nice and easy, right? And that almost never happens, right? And then and, uh, open carry, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then uh, and so we'll have like a 101, like a 201 and a 301 level course of like here's how laws get made. There's yep. the simple way, here's the a, a little bit more complicated and then like here's the really uh grungy sausage making
1: way. Gonna, we're going to we're going to go from like your freshman in high school course in government to your uh, graduate level course in civics. N- neither of which we've had. Correct. Well, we both took the <laughs> we're freshman. We're going to write level, the right? curriculum <laughs> on the air. So, if you'd like to so, if you'd like to audit our course, please we, uh, uh, we hope that all of you will uh, plan on staying with us and joining us for all the great content we've got coming up. Good God. I didn't realize how detailed the how a bill becomes the law thing
0: is. That's a full page of, of outline. Yes, sir. What were they getting into it there. Yes, sir. All right. Well, on that note, it brings us <laughs> to the end of this episode. Thanks for hanging with us. Um, be sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you have an Apple device. Also on Spotify and other places. Uh, tell your friends. Invite them to listen to the podcast. Have a listening party. Hell, you can come join us in studio now. We've got a nice little setup here. We could have a handful of guests come join us. We can bring in some extra chairs. If you're interested in joining us for a, a taping, please uh, email us at podcast at org, and we'll make that happen. Uh, you can find us on Social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're at Let's Fix This. Okay, Scott is at S C Melson. I am at Andy O K C. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization, and man, we want you to be involved uh, a little more than you are right now. So whatever it takes, we're gonna get you there. Um, be sure to uh, tell your friends. Don't forget to register to vote. Update your registration. Register to vote by mail. I got a ballot in the mail today for next month. I'm very excited. And with that, have a good week.